Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 50. Before we get into today's questions, as always, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Precision Hydration create electrolyte products that help you get hydrated and stay hydrated. You can take a free online sweat test to get a personalized hydration strategy, and you can try out your first box or tube for free with the promo code DATTRAFLONSHOW, all on word, all caps. Precision Hydration also very recently teamed up with the Training Peaks to create an in-depth course on hydration called The Science of Endurance Hydration. And I would recommend this course highly as I'm going through it currently, especially for other coaches out there uh, so that you can help advise your athletes. And uh, I think this is a really, really great course that uh, covers the science and uh, the practice of hydration. So uh, highly recommended. Again, check it out on Training Peaks University. The course is called Science of Endurance Hydration. And big thanks to Roka that you can find on roka.com. This episode's contribution in the Details Matter campaign that Eric are running until the end of September is from Mel in Content Marketing, who writes about the commuter pack. I love the water-resistant pocket. I'm always stuffing sweaty gear there after a race, and I love the ability to keep it separate from everything else in my bag. Plus, the internal handle makes it super easy to reverse, to reverse out and dry after I'm done. You can check this pack out and you can check out all the other products that Troka have from prescription glasses, sunglasses, wetsuits, tri suits, and uh, goggles and uh, etc. on Roka.com and you can get 20% off your entire order with the promo code TTS all caps. Today's first question is from uh, Alexandre Fagundes in uh, Brazil who writes, Hi Michael, another question I think that is suitable for the Q&A. I've heard that anti- antioxidants are actually not good to take during or after exercise, that they would inhibit the action of some enzyme that would trigger the adaptations that our body will do depending on the workout we did. Now, I am a huge fan of taking an orange juice just after running. It just feels so good. But am I doing something bad here? Should I wait for a few hours without that dose of vitamin C? I take a multivitamin every day in the morning, including before workouts, and it's full of antioxidants. So should I wait and take it a few hours after the workout? Also, some gels come with antioxidants. What is your take on that? Should I avoid them? Uh, Honestly, this is the first time I've ever heard that antioxidants can be bad, but science is always evolving and uh, we just know that we have so much to learn still. Best regards. So thank you, Alexander, for your question. I'm going to link to and lean on an article from one of the most credible researchers in the world of endurance sport for my answer. And this is an article by Asker Jokendrup. Uh, he wrote on an article called Exercise is the Best Antioxidant. And uh, in this article, he explains the things that we'll cover next in detail. He himself draws a lot on the knowledge of a professor Scott Powers from the University of Florida, who is one of the world experts on this very specific topic of antioxidants and endurance sport. So to cover some groundwork first, physical exercise does increase the cellular production of reactive oxygen species, or ROS, in muscle, liver, and other organs. And originally, they were considered detrimental and a likely cause of cell damage 
associated with exhaustion. And But in the past decade or so, we have seen evidence that actually, as you say in your question, uh, these uh, reactive oxygen species act as a signal or can act as a signal that are important for training adaptation among other functions. So it can be seen as a positive, and that's, uh, that is correct. And again, as you say in your question, there are now several studies that have demonstrated that high doses of antioxidants maybe are removing that signal for training adaptation and training adaptations are impaired. They're not eliminated, but they're impaired. And uh, this idea that antioxidant supplementation uh, during or before or after exercise would be beneficial is therefore probably most probably incorrect based on what we know today. Uh, of course, uh, excessive oxidation in the body should be prevented by some means, but the body itself has several mechanisms for this. There are several enzymes in the body that have an antioxidative capacity, and uh, these enzymes are by far the most important defense system. Uh, because when we take dietary antioxidants or antioxidant supplements, when they get to the site of oxidation, they can be used as an antioxidant only once and they are used up and therefore we need large amount of these exogenous antioxidants for them to be effective and in contrast to this the antioxidant enzymes in our bodies can be used over and over again and uh, actually these enzymes they they increase with training they're upregulated with training so that the more we exercise the more of these enzymes we can we can make and the more protected we will be independent of exogenous antioxidant intake. So Asker wraps up the article with six key messages regarding antioxidants and endurance training. Uh, number one, there is no evidence that physical training requires antioxidant supplementation above the normal antioxidants from a well-balanced diet. Keywords there. Uh, number two, dietary supplementation of antioxidants can play a role when food intake is restricted or where a dietary deficiency of antioxidants is clinically determined. But this is very, very rare. Number three, there is no evidence that antioxidants have a positive effect on recovery. Number four, there is little or no evidence, evidence that antioxidants improve performance. Number five, there is emerging evidence that antioxidant supplementation in high doses can reduce training adaptation. Number six, eat a varied diet with fruits and vegetables. So to answer your question, Alexandre, on whether you should avoid antioxidants, no, not as a part of a normal, healthy, well-balanced diet. Uh, there is, you, you asked about the orange juice specifically, and there is uh, indeed a study which is called Oral Administration of Vitamin C Decreases Muscle Mitochondrial Biogen Biogenesis and Hampers Training-Induced Adaptations in endurance, endurance Performance. And this one is from uh, the University of Valencia. And they specifically found that vitamin C supplementation hampered endurance adaptation. But the keyword here is supplementation. They took it in uh, pill form, not as part of orange juice. So that is one key difference. And the second key difference is they supplemented with 1000 milligrams of vitamin C per day. Whereas if you drink something like 250 milliliters of orange juice, that's eight ounces uh, for those that use that system, uh, according to my quick Google search, that would give you 124 milligram of vitamin C. 
So your dose there would be 12% of the dose in that particular study, in addition to the fact that it's, uh, that it's part of, of no, more normal food and not part of a pill. So a very high dose dosage of, of antioxidants. So I think you're fine. I would definitely not say that you need to stop uh, having orange juice after your workouts. Uh, I would say that the multivitamin is probably unnecessary if you are consuming a healthy, balanced diet, then you don't need a multivitamin. And uh, and I would say that the gels with antioxidants, uh, yeah, I I think I actually personally use them not because I actually hate hate it. I wish that they would not have antioxidants in them, but they also have some a lot of other things. They have uh, uh, BCAAs and they have uh, vitamin B12, I think, and and a lot of things that there just isn't good evidence for. And the reason I use these gels in training, I don't use them in racing specifically is that they're just very cheap to buy from Decathlon. <laughs> so so that's why I use them for my uh, my bread, my my staple training sessions when it doesn't really matter. And I do use some science sport gels mostly when when it comes to to racing and preparing for when in the final lead up to races to make sure that I'm I'm used to those gels that don't have anything unnecessary in them. Uh I think that anti antioxidants in gels is completely unnecessary, but also I think the problem with stuffing gels with anything other than the minimum required things which is some sort of of sugar and in certain cases uh, you would like to have caffeine but those are the only thing that i really see a need for in gels anything else is just going to be something additional that needs to be processed by your digestive system which is going to just be a potential negative a potential for for digestive problems or or gi issues so so that's my main uh, gripe with having antioxidants in gels uh, that there's no evidence for them so why put them in there it's just going to be a potential negative i don't think that the doses are necessarily that big so that it's going to be a negative impact but uh, well if you're really concerned about this perhaps consider changing gels i would definitely not be against that again for me personally the reason that i do use gels that have antioxidants they're cheapest and i trade a lot so so i do consume a fair amount of gels so uh and and I I'm not particularly afraid of of those small amounts of antioxidants uh, impairing my endurance adaptations in in this particular case. But uh, but I'm not saying that I'm right in that. I may be wrong in in that. And uh, we're still at the beginning stages of uh, of trying to to discover just how antioxidants may influence endurance adaptation. So so yeah, who knows what we'll know in a in a couple of years from now. Uh, that article by Asker Jokendrup is fairly new. It's from two, 2018. So, uh, so it's, it's a very good read. I'll link it in the show notes, of course, and I'll link to, uh, the other studies that I cited as well. So, uh, thank you for your question. And, uh, let's move on to the next one. And this one is from Martin in Wales, who writes, uh, hi, Michael. Uh, I have adopted the polarized approach to training. And uh, recording the times in heart rate zones is pretty simple. However, during things like VO2 max efforts, it obviously takes a while for my heart rate to get up to uh, to the high intensity training zones before I finish the interval and then it goes down again. The time I'm producing VO2 power, however, might be two minutes, but the heart rate will say one minute in moderate intensity and one minute in high intensity, as an example. Should I be recording the time at VO2 power for these sessions in my record of distrib- distribution in each training zones, or should I carry on recording heart rate? Uh, thank. You. That's the first part of the question, by the way. Thank you, Martin, for your questions. 
I recommend using the even simpler approach than uh, time in heart rate or power zones. It's called the modified session goal approach, and that's what's used in a lot of the polarized literature, and it is very simple. So say your session is you're doing these two-minute intervals. Let's say you do eight of them. So eight times two minutes on, two minutes off, and you have some warm-up and some cool-down in addition to the main set, making it a one-hour workout in total. So then you would simply assign 16 minutes as high intensity and uh, the rest, what would that be? 44 minutes as low intensity. It doesn't matter that uh, if you actually look at your power data, maybe one minute out of 16 may not technically have been in the high intensity zone. That may be the case if you got to a slight descent on the road or you have to do a U-turn to to double back at some point because the road ends. Uh, so it, it really doesn't make the interval feel any easier or be any easier on the body. So we simply assign the entire two minutes as high intensity uh, to the high intensity zone. And uh, therefore, since that workout is eight times two minutes, assuming that you do eight times two minutes hard and uh, two minutes easy, then there will be 16 minutes categorized as high intensity training. So Martin's second question here is also, whilst running in low intensity zones one and two, I'm almost at a shuffle, which I'm sure is way too slow and not good for technique. With these low-intensity run sessions, would it be better to focus on RPE but keep one eye on heart rate? I have a pace which feels really, really easy and I hold my form, but I'm very conscious about my heart rate. And it's usually at low zone 3 based on the training zone percentages you discussed in a previous podcast. Should I run with a slow shuffle in zone 2, heart rate, or with good form in low zone 3? Any help would be greatly appreciated. So potentially it might be better, yes, to run, increase the heart rate a bit so that you move away from that slow shuffle if it still feels really, really easy, as you say. There are a few things to keep in mind if you do that. So first, make sure that uh, uh, that at that pace, your heart rate does not increase, that it actually stabilizes, and and that it is a pace and a heart rate that you feel like you could hold for hours. And also do the talk test. This is perhaps the most important thing. Talk to a friend that you're running with or talk to yourself and see if you can talk in complete sentences. And if you can do that without getting out of breath, uh, that again is a very good sign that your your easy running is easy enough. So regarding your heart rate zones and how you set them, I was a bit suspicious and we had a bit of correspondence about this after your question because I was suspicious that your heart rate zones might be incorrect and that's where this dissonance in RPE and heart rate comes from. And uh, in response to my question, you wrote uh, that uh, you used training zones, uh, used the percentages from the ones that I recommended in a previous podcast episode, but the threshold heart rate was taken from the last marathon you did, where Training Peaks told you it was 154. And you wrote also that you had it measured by your coach last year when training for Ironman Wales, and it was approximately 150, but tested, the testing method was poor. So... I can't really comment on the testing method that you did last year, but I can comment that just accepting a suggested threshold from training peaks is also a very poor way of setting heart rate zones. Uh, and this this is more of a comment to everybody listening. When you get those threshold notifications from training peaks, do not accept them blindly. If you have those auto apply threshold updates enabled in training peaks, go and turn them off immediately for all thresholds, whether it's heart rate, power, you should not accept that just for what it is 
when you get a notification like that, you should take a look at the workout or the race and see if it really makes sense that your threshold is different than what it's currently set at. But you need to consider context. So for example, if you run a marathon in 35 degree heat, it makes absolutely no sense to just take your peak one hour heart rate from that marathon and use it as your threshold heart rate because it will skew your zones incorrectly for 98% of your training when it's done in way cooler conditions than that 35 degree marathon. Uh, so uh, so that's uh, th- those are some things to consider. And uh, some other things to consider, Training Peaks sometimes uses heart rate notifications or heart rate threshold heart rate updates based on one hour heart rate or based on 20 minute heart rate and true you can use either one of those my calculator that i link to it's a google sheet very simple to use and available uh, for free just uh, check click the link in the episode description uh, you can use both you can use 20 minute heart rate in that but if you have a, another value like a high one hour threshold heart rate that is uh, relevant that is uh, correct then that might be a better estimate of heart rate actually than basing your heart rate on 94 percent of of 20 minute heart rate that i do in my calculator Uh, whatever you do you need to go into the actual files and make sure that the data is correct but also uh, consider the following if you let's say you hit something like 180 beats per minute for uh, for a 20 minute uh, 20 minute run once you do that once in your whole athletic history but then the second highest 20 minute heart rate that you have for, for running in this case is 170 BPM. So 10, 10 beats per minute lower. That probably means that your threshold should not be based on that 180 beats per minute mark that you've hit, you've for some reason hit once, but you've never been even close to that, uh, after that. So the 170 beats per minute is probably the more realistic value to use. And, um, and the final thing to consider when it comes to verifying your zones is to cross-validate against uh, calculations based on your maximum heart rate. So you can check if your what your maximum heart rate is. Again, make sure that it's uh, an actual maximum heart rate that uh, that really looks relevant and it's not an artifact that just your heart rate monitor did something crazy, but it's something that uh, where the heart rate chart looks like this could have actually happened. And again, making sure that it's not a complete outlier, but something that you have been close to on several occasions. Uh, so if you take your maximum heart rate and it's uh, it's okay, you've checked that, and you take 75% of that maximum heart rate, then if that is closed, close to your upper end of zone 2 that you've already calculated based on your threshold heart rate, then that's probably a good validation uh, because based on two different methods, you've sort of gotten a very similar result for where the upper end of your zone 2 should be. And, uh, and you can also verify that Uh, calculate 90% of that maximum heart rate and check if that is close to what your threshold heart rate is. So uh, again, that's another great way to to validate if if your zones are correct. But if uh, you have a mismatch between the two methods, between using calculating zones based on threshold and uh, validation based on on maximum heart rate, then, then you really need to dive deeper and it might actually require talking with a coach or doing some real testing physiological testing ideally but with a good protocol of course so uh, so those would be some general pieces of advice for using your training zones and making sure that they are correct so i hope that this helps uh, martin and for anybody listening again i'll link to that uh, calculator the training zones calculator that i have a google sheet so you can fill in your own data and get your own zones and that's it for today's q and a 
Remember to subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss any episodes. Remember, episodes are coming out every Monday and Thursday. And I'm really pr- proud to have been very consistent for several years now with uh, at least two and a half years, I believe, uh, with putting out uh, at least two episodes per week. So stay subscribed so you don't miss that. And if you like the podcast, do me a favor and spread the word. Talk with your friends, your teammates, anybody you know that might be interested and let them know that the show exists and uh, and hopefully they will they will thank you and I will thank you. Big thanks to our sponsors Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Take their free online sweat test to get a personalized hydration strategy and use the promo code DEATHTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps, to get your first box or tube for free. And thank you to Roka for sponsoring the show. You can find their wetsuits, dry suits, swimskins, goggles, and high-performance eyewear. These pieces of equipment are used by the best of the best. Athletes like Mario Mola, Katie Zafiris, uh, Flora Duffy, etc. are using uh, Roka because it's designed for world-class performances, but it's available to all of us, uh, no matter what our level is. You can get 20% off your entire order on roka.com by using the promo code TTS, or CAPS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.